Brilliant. I wonder if you can join with me in welcoming Pippa. She's going to be talking to us today. This is her first time talking, so let's give her all the support. Father God, we just pray for Pippa now. We pray that you will go before her. We pray, God, that you will give her all that she needs and bless her in the things that she says. Amen. Thank you. Um, yeah, hello, I'm Pippa. If I've not met you net yet, come and say hi to me. I'm married to Christian, who sat down there, and we've been coming here for just over a year and a half, and we absolutely love it. So thank you for having us as part of this family, um, and we're just really excited about what God is doing here and to be a part of that. Um, so... Just before I start talking about what I've planned, I wanted to share something that God spoke to me about this week because it's shaped what I've planned to talk to you about. Um, And it happened, I was praying this week just in my room as I normally do and I had my worship music on and um, I was singing along and I was singing along saying the name of Jesus. And I had one of those moments where your spirit and and what you are feeling in that place just completely overtakes you. And I thought, I'm saying the name Jesus. Obviously, I know who Jesus is. I know what he did for me. His spirit lives inside me. I read about him. But how well do I know Jesus? When I say his name, do I know who I'm talking to? Do I know what he looks like, what he's like? And this cry that came up within me was, Let me never lose sight of you, Jesus. Let me never lose sight of who you are. So um, if it's okay, that's kind of the angle that I'm coming at today. Let's see more of Jesus. When we say his name, let's know exactly who we're talking to and who we're talking about. So the title I got given is Jesus is Good at Asking Questions. And we're going to read from John 8, verses 1 to 11. So if you've got your Bibles, do open them. I've printed it out really, really small on my piece of paper, so I'm sorry if I say it wrong, Um, but it's up on the screen. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So just to give you some context about this Bible passage, um, Jesus is in Judea, the town of Judea, and he's there because it's the Feast of the Tabernacles. So the city is really buzzing. There's loads of people. There's lots going on. Um, and it's, you know, it's a really exciting place to be at that time. But for Jesus, it's also a really dangerous place to be at that time because just before this event, um, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have tried to arrest him um, numerous times. They failed um, in arresting him and they, you know, their hatred is quite strong. They want Jesus gone. They want him gone. So this is a trap that they set for him. But Jesus is still in the temple courts. He's still doing his thing. He's speaking. He's preaching there. And 
it's just a normal day. He's doing his preaching in the temple. And suddenly they cause this massive scene. Um, the group of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law burst into the temple. They're dragging this woman um, who's been caught um, in the act of adultery. And they shove her before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, this woman has been caught having an affair. So she deserves to die. The law says, the law of Moses says that we should stone her. We should kill her for what she's doing. What do you say? And they think that this is a really clever situation to put Jesus in because whichever way he answers he's going to be in trouble if he says yes she should die let's stone her that's not going to be a popular decision and also the Roman authorities wouldn't have let that happen they didn't let Jewish people carry out um, the sentences and the punishments under their jurisdiction so he would have been arrested and he probably would have been charged with incitement to murder so he if he'd have said yes that's what would have happened if he'd have said no he um, would have been in a lot of trouble because he was a rabbi and he would have been seen as not upholding the Jewish law and saying, actually, yeah, it's fine that she was doing that sin. That's absolutely fine. Let's let her get away with it. So they think that they've, they've cornered him. They think that they've got him stuck. Um, but what I love about Jesus is that he's never stuck. He comes up with a third option and he does it in a really unexpected and weird way and I love it when Jesus does something a bit strange like when he spits on his hands and he rubs it into the blind man's eyes and and heals the blind man you can imagine the people around being like what is this guy doing he just spat in his eye it's a bit weird and I think this is one of those moments as well because they've brought him in they've caused this massive scene they're all looking at him for an answer and he does this And he gets down on the ground and he starts writing on the ground. Not how you would normally respond in that situation. And it says that they keep on asking him. So you can imagine it's really uncomfortable. They're all saying, come on, what do you say? And he's silent, drawing on the ground. But by doing that, he's completely taken control of the situation. And by doing that, he's taken everybody's eyes off this woman who's standing there with her deepest sin exposed. He's taken their eyes off her and onto himself. And then when he's finally ready to answer, he gets up and he says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And by doing that, he is bringing everybody in that room's sin to the same level. He doesn't say, if you've never committed adultery, you can throw a stone at her. Or even, if you've never committed a sexual sin, you can throw at her. Um, He doesn't do that. He says, if any one of you is without sin, you can throw the first stone. He brings it all to the same level, which is not how things normally go. Um, In our world today, if you do something wrong, you would most likely go to prison. And you go to prison for a different amount of time, depending on how bad the thing is that you've done or how much of a danger you are because of the thing you've done. And in the Mosaic law, in the law of Moses, it says that if you commit adultery, you deserve to die. And then there's other ones that have different levels of punishment depending on what you've done. In the Mosaic law, if you stole, you had to repay what you'd taken, but you'd have to give back more as well as compensation. Um, If you blasphemed, you deserved to die. Um, If you injured someone, you had to have done to you exactly what you'd done to them. So that's where that verse, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, fracture for a fracture comes in. It's what you do to them, you deserve to have done to you. But in this moment, Jesus is saying, no, if you have sinned at all, you have no right to judge her and you have no right to carry out the punishment that she deserves either because you have sinned 
And when we attach the second half of what Jesus says to the first half of what Jesus has said, I think it gives us a clue as to something deeper that he's saying. When I first read it, I was like, I don't really get Jesus's logic, but bear with me because I think I figured something out that makes sense to me and hopefully it will to you. Um, He says, has no one condemned you? They've all gone. They haven't thrown the stone. Then neither do I condemn you. So by Jesus' first logic, which was let any one of you who is without sin throw the first stone, he totally deserved to throw the stone. Jesus was without sin. He'd never done anything wrong. So of anyone, he could have been the one right, rightfully to carry out that punishment. But he chose not to. And he says, has no one condemned you? then neither do I condemn you. And at first glance, if you don't know Jesus, it looks a bit like he's saying, oh, well, if no one else does, then I don't either. That's fine. I've been swayed by what they've done. But that is not it. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because by bringing everyone's sin to a living playing field and by being sinless himself and the only one worthy to carry out that punishment, instead of doing that, We have to look at what Jesus came to earth to do, and that was to die and to take the consequences of all of our sin as well. He says, has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you because I am going to take that consequence. I am going to take that death for you so that you can be free from the sin that you've committed. And I wonder whether maybe that's what Jesus was drawing on the ground. Was he drawing across the way that he was going to die and the way that he was going to set people free from all their sin? Was he writing a new law that said, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, but by grace we've been redeemed through what he was going to do for us at the cross? And as I was praying about this talk, the phrase resurrection eyes came to mind. And for me, resurrection eyes is how Jesus saw this situation. He saw this situation where they thought they'd had him cornered. He came up with a new option because he had the perspective of what he was going to do on the cross. And he did die on the cross and he did rise again. And I think that that was how he was looking at this situation. He didn't just have two options. He had a third option. And that was that he was her redeemer and he is our redeemer. So my challenge for us this week is, are we seeing through resurrection eyes like Jesus did in this situation? Do we see ourselves through resurrection eyes? When we look at ourselves, do we see the guilt? Do we see the sin? Do we see what we've done wrong? Do we just see our failings or do we see Jesus? Do we see what he did on the cross and the price that he paid for us so that we can live a life to all its fullness with him? And do we see other people through resurrection eyes? This is a difficult one because people can be really annoying. People can be really difficult. But do we look at them the way that Jesus does? Do we look at them as people who, if they accept Jesus, they are totally redeemed and their life can be completely changed by his love? Do we just get frustrated or do we think, no, I'm going to look at you with resurrection eyes and I'm going to see the potential in you and the potential that your life has to be changed by love? And thirdly, do we see the situations that we're in with resurrection eyes? So Jesus saw this situation with resurrection eyes through normal eyes. Um, It was a sinful woman who'd been brought before him Um, and she deserved a punishment and he was worthy to carry out that punishment and actually you know she deserved what was coming to her her life was over that was through normal eyes but through resurrection eyes 
Jesus saw this woman who was sinful, had done something wrong, but he also saw her as forgiven and set free because of what he was going to do on the cross. So do we see the situations that we are in with resurrection eyes? There's so many examples in our life where we have seen the faithfulness of God and we have seen him do amazing things that has really changed stuff. But just one example of seeing through resurrection eyes would be a couple of years ago, Christian's contract in London finished. So his job had come to an end and he didn't yet have another one to go to. So he was unemployed for a few months. I was a student and we still had rent to pay. We still had bills to pay. We still needed to eat. And it was actually a really scary time to not know what was around the corner and to not know if we could afford to pay our rent but we had to see it with resurrection eyes we had to see the promises of God above the circumstance that we were in we had to see that God had a good plan for us that he was looking after us and he had it all under control So there might be situations in your life or people in your life or even as you look at yourself that you need to choose to see through resurrection eyes, choose to see how Jesus saw it. And with Jesus' perspective of these resurrection eyes, this is where I link back to the title I was given. I've gone off on one and I do apologise. Jesus is good at asking questions because he has this perspective. He sees through resurrection eyes so he can see above what is straight in front of him and he can see from a different perspective. And Jesus uses questions really cleverly. And in this situation, um, he asks a question to declare a truth. He says, woman, has no one condemned you? That was his question. And then by her answering and in being in that situation, he then says, then neither do I condemn you and declares that truth over her life. And Jesus has done that a bit before. If we look in John chapter four, there's the Samaritan woman at the well and he's there with her and he says, will you give me a drink? That's his question. And by opening up that conversation with that question, he then says, I am the living water and if you drink from me, you will never go thirsty. He asks a question to declare a truth. And I think if we follow Jesus' example in this, it's the easiest way to evangelise. It's the easiest way to share about Jesus. Joe last week challenged us to share Jesus with someone. And for some of us, that is absolutely terrifying because you don't know how to bring everything that you believe and love and trust in into someone else's situation, into someone else's life. That just seems like something you can't really match up. But I want to suggest that let's be like Jesus and let's ask questions. Because when we ask questions, it creates the opportunity to declare a truth. I just finished my degree at Chichester University. I did art and um, None of my friends on, on my course were Christians and their lives were just completely, the idea of God to them was just completely alien and a God that loved them wasn't even in their thoughts, a God that actually had some say in how they lived their lives wasn't something that they could connect with at all and for the first kind of year and a half I was really stuck, like they knew I was a Christian but how do I share Jesus with these people? Because Jesus is so far away from the way that they live and and where they're at at the moment. And I found that actually the best way to do this in that situation was to ask questions. So I would ask questions like, do you believe in a spiritual 
realm? Do you believe in some other power that is there that we can't see? And actually, they did. They did believe there was something more. And by asking those questions, they would then ask me questions back, giving me the chance to say, well, I believe that Jesus is the way. And we do, we have a God who is in control of that spiritual realm. And so asking questions makes a way for us to declare a truth. And we can ask those questions when we see through resurrection eyes. And seeing through resurrection eyes is a choice. It's not something that we wake up and we think, oh, I can see everything that God is doing today. This is fantastic. We don't, well, I don't do that. I wake up and I have to choose to look at people and look at myself and look at situations with resurrection eyes because resurrection eyes see what Jesus has done. They see that he has won a new life for us. They see the hope that he gives us. They see a peace that passes all understanding. They see just this amazing life that is available to live to the full through Jesus. So it's a choice. We have to choose to put our resurrection eyes on. And I think just one final thing, and I'll I'll land with this, is that at the very start of the passage I was given, verse one says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And for me, this is really crucial because throughout the gospels, Jesus often went to mountains and hills and he prayed there. That was where he spent time alone with God. And often he prayed throughout the night. And this passage starts with him doing that. He's gone to the Mount of Olives and he's prayed all night and then he comes to the temple to teach the next day. So to get that perspective, he has had to spend time with the Father. To see through resurrection eyes, he has had to yield himself, his heart, his mind, everything to God and understand what God wanted to do in that day. So for me and for us, I think to choose to see through resurrection eyes, We have to spend time with God. We have to understand his heart and what he says about us, what he can do through us, what what the Bible says. We just have to spend time with him to see that perspective. So I would love to pray for us, if that's okay. I wonder if the band could come back up, please. Um, And I want to pray about this idea of resurrection eyes. Um, And... If there's anything that has struck a chord in you, um, I'd love it if you would come to the front and I will pray for you. Um, The prayer team will be here to pray as well. And so what I want to pray for is, um, do you see yourself through resurrection eyes? I want to pray for anybody here who feels like they can't see that. They can't see past what they've done or what's been done to them to see themselves how God sees them. I'd love it if we could pray for you for that. Um, The second thing is, do we see other people through resurrection eyes? If you're struggling with someone um, or a relationship and you feel a bit lost and you feel a bit hopeless, I'd love if we could pray for you to see that person through resurrection eyes. And as I was praying for this morning, I really feel like there's someone here who is struggling with their relationship with their brother Um, and I don't know the context but if you have given up hope for that person um, I would love to pray that you could see him through resurrection eyes again and see him how Jesus sees him and see beyond circumstance and see the promises that are spoken over his life so yeah people who are struggling to see themselves through resurrection eyes I'd love to pray with you seeing other people through resurrection eyes 
I'd love to pray with you. And then finally, situations. Um, and again, this idea of promise above circumstance. Through resurrection eyes, we can see what God is doing above what appears to be happening. If you feel like you've lost hope in a situation, um, come forward and let's pray so that you can see through resurrection eyes and you can have that faith rise up within you again. That would just be wonderful. So the band are going to play. I'm going to be down here. The prayer team will be down here as well. Um, and if you'd like to come and get prayed for, please please don't hesitate, do come. Or if you just want to process on your own where you're sitting, maybe think about what situations can I see through resurrection eyes. Um, that would be amazing. So yeah, do come and get prayer if you'd like it.